Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-hosts, the pet experts themselves. First, we've got Rick Pruce. Welcome, Rick. Hey, Lee. How are you doing today, uh, sir? Great. Thank you. And joining us this week again, we have Dr. Will Schultz. Dr. Schultz, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Hope we're going to have we're going to have a really good day today. Well, yes. we're definitely going to have an intelligent conversation. That I can guarantee <laughs> you. And none of it's going to come from me, which is usual. But we have got a guest on the show this week, Howard Russell, who is an entomologist with Michigan State University. And... To tell you if all that you need to know about this man, his email address is bugman at msu.edu. So if you want to know about bugs, even if you don't like them, even if you try and stay away from them, to protect your animals and your family, there's going to be some great information that's passed along. I was thinking Doc would have some stories associated with bugs, bugs. because you have plenty of opportunity, uh, many years of veterinary science, and yeah. uh, opportunity to have lots of exposure. What's your best bug story? I have two that we have to share today. One is years ago, before our new topical and oral flea medicines, we used to get flea infestations, and and everybody that's my, I don't know, anybody in the probably 50s or 60s or older has had this happen sometime in their life. Well, we had these two ladies, and the dog was coated with, and when I say coated, there's hundreds if not thousands of fleas on the dog. So what we used to do is we'd spray the dog every single day, bathe the dog, and use a non-toxic uh, flea spray at the time, but there, we didn't have the products that we have now. So I told them, you know the only one sure way, honestly, to get rid of fleas is just burn your house down. Well, in the news the next morning, it turns out their condo burned that night, but they were saved. They got out on time. Their dog got out on time. The dog didn't have any smoke inhalation issues, but the dog was in long enough that when it brought it in the next morning to do a well health check on it, not one single flea on the dog. So we're not recommending this as the scorched earth policy to get rid of fleas or bed bugs, uh, but there's proof in the pudding there. It certainly works. And as far as ticks, uh, we got a call one morning that the, the dog had a tick on it. They found a tick. And so the people thought, well, what do we do for the tick? Well, spray it with a flea and tick spray. So they spray it with a spray. doesn't work. They spray it with a spray again. It doesn't work. They spray it probably the third time. It still didn't work. So this is probably pre-internet. So, so one of the people said, well, I found out if you take a hot match and put the match to the tick, it'll upset the tick, um, and, the, and the tick will fall off the dog. So they put the match on the dog. And what they didn't realize is many, many flea sprays are not water-based. They're alcohol-based. And what you don't know is alcohol kills fleas just as fast as water does, or as the water base does. So when they put this on the dog, the long-haired dog caught on fire, and the dog in an alcohol flame is not a bright flame, so you can barely see it. But the dog starts running around screaming, and they can't figure out why this dog is running around rampant around the place screaming. Well... And then as it goes by them, now the smoke is coming off, so they put the fire out. They're, 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 okay. So, so their house did not burn down. No, not, this one didn't burn at all. And 
what it turns out is it didn't work because when they brought the dog in the next day, <laughs> the tick was still on the dog and the little feet on the tick were still there and moving. Oh, my gosh. So we just took a little hemostat and pulled yeah. the fl- tick off the dog. Well, there but, you go. So, yeah. So keep the flame away. That's not a, that's not a viable way to deal with don't, it. Don't it do but it does show you the creativity that people <laughs> have had to use in the past because, Rick, you can certainly vouch for it. I remember the days when the product you had, when someone came in and said, I need to protect my animal from flea and ticks and you had some hearts plastic collar that you put on well, and don't, I, I don't, don't know pin, how, don't pin this on me it's not just you it was everywhere oh, it was every, it was everywhere well, well the reality is is that uh <laughs> you know uh, fleas are a desperation right oh, there's God. no doubt about it nobody everybody will do anything and uh you know there was the inexpensive flea collar which probably had some annoying uh, irritation to the fleas, but oftentimes didn't do a whole lot to solve the problem. And it's not going to solve the problem. And we always invite customers to come in and talk about it, Uh, especially with heavy infestations, realize that it's a a whole life cycle situation. And unless you acknowledge that it's a whole life cycle situation and it's living not only on your pet but off your pet, you oftentimes have lingering problems, if not continuing problems, with fleas. And so – you know, the product that you put on the back of the dog might very well be effective, but you might find that you even need some extra assistance in making it to clear up pretty quickly. That's correct. Well, there's no question about it. And thank goodness, uh, not only has the prescriptions gotten better in terms of dealing with it, uh, and even the thing I like most is a lot of vets have been convincing their customers, as have the pet stores, that this is not a six-month solution for flea and tick. You have a 12-month problem that you need to deal with. Absolutely. And I think that's a great thing. So we're going to talk all about this stuff with Howard Russell this week on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. It's the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick and Doc, we have with us on the line a returning guest, although it's been a long time since we've had him on the show. It's Howard Russell, who is an entomologist with Michigan State University. Welcome back to the show, Howard. Good morning, Lee. Oh, good morning. It's a pleasure to have you back on. And frankly, there have been some things that have been bugging me, pun intended. And I I figured that there'd be no better source that we could go to than you to find out what kind of a year are we in for. I mean, we've had a really dry spring, and I'm thinking that does that mean for summer and fall we're in for fewer mosquitoes, or does it mean that we're in for lots of other things that are probably growing in abundance If even if the mosquitoes are shrinking in abundance? Well, I you know, I can only really speak from what I'm experiencing around my place. I live south of Mason. Um, and I live in an area that's pretty swampy. In fact, I, I sort of live right in the middle of a cattail marsh. And um, we've had very few mosquitoes this spring, and, and that sort of follows last year. We had very few mosquitoes um, last year during the spring as well, and, I, and that's primarily because um, it's been so dry. And, of course, mosquito larvae develop in, in stagnant standing water, and we just haven't had enough of that, really, for um, lots of mosquitoes' lar- larvae to develop. So, so far, um, you know, we're doing we, we're doing with less mosquitoes, and I'm I'm pretty grateful 
we've been able to walk our swamp uh, at dusk, 80 degrees, no wind, which would generally be like prime mosquito um, um, conditions, and um, not put on off, not have uh, a single mosquito buzz us uh, for the 25 minutes where we walk through the swamp. So that's pretty remarkable. So- Normally, we'd be fully dressed in you know, loose-footing clothing, head to foot, uh, and a net, and possibly even gloves or at least rappelling on our hands. So like it's, a uh, it's been real nice, yeah. Well, well, I'm just curious. Now, you're, you're saying that two, a couple of days after a giant rain event, uh, what, what, uh, what do you anticipate uh, uh, this uh, giant rain event uh, well, it depends. precipitating? It, so, you know, we had uh, a week ago, or 10 days ago, we got two inches of rain at my place, at least from my gauge. Uh, but the ground was, was so dry, it uh-huh. literally sucked all that water in, and it resulted in zero standing water. Gotcha. So when so there is standing it, water, how fast? So let's say we have rain this week. Can mosquitoes lay eggs that fast and have them um, uh, hatch and larvae go to adult mosquitoes? How quick does that take? It, with some species, there's we have one really tiny little mosquito that will develop if it's like 85 degrees, will can go from egg to egg laying adult or a biting adult in a week. Okay, well, that gives us yeah. something to look forward to. <laughs> right, okay. and so we, we normally wow. count down. I mean, there's been some years, I think last summer we had, um, at least around my place, it takes about three inches of rain if it comes all at one time, um, and that night. will result in enough standing water to produce mosquitoes. So we're sort of, you know, waiting to see uh, if we've had enough rain for that to happen. Yeah. And But we also had a 68-degree morning this morning. Doesn't that have an effect, too? Well, temperature uh, affects uh, the rate of development, right? right. But without rain um, or standing water, there is no larval development. Okay. So, I mean, temperature, yeah, it's been hot, um, it's, but it's also been dry. So that's resulted in very few adult mosquitoes out at this point. And, of course, that varies by location. If you live near an area where there's more or less permanent water than uh, or standing water where mosquitoes develop, um, then you can expect to see mosquitoes. I, my son lives up in Kalkaska, and he fights with mosquitoes all the time, and he's never had sort of a mosquito-free day like we've had down here. So it kind of depends on location, too. Now, does this uh, weather we're having, like the spring, the drought, doesn't that favor like black flies and stuff, too? Because a couple years ago we had the EHD, epizootic hemorrhagic disease in deer, and that's spread by biting flies in the summer, right? Well, black flies, you know, their larvae develop in pristine streams, creeks, and rivers. Okay. So they're one that can be, they're an indicator of pretty good water quality, right? So, but generally, black, we think of black fly problems more as an up north problem where, yeah. you know, there's a lot more rivers. Right. Although I do see them around my place occasionally. Well, isn't it? It's a um, midge that causes the deer disease, right? Uh, yeah, we're you know, it's. I'm not quite sure uh, what we're, what you mean by midge, and I'm not, and I'm not really a medical entomologist, so I don't really know for sure. I thought it was. I thought they were black flies. Okay, all right, interesting. Um, and okay. you know, people sometimes like gnats are referred to as black flies. Sometimes midges are. There are non-biting midges. It's 
you know, depends on what you mean by the. Right. By to, to me, the, they're all little things that bite yeah. that you want to yeah, swat. Yeah, noxious little bugs. So we haven't had a lot of mosquitoes, but we've had just swarms of, of um, deer flies, which are pretty obnoxious, too. So. Well, well and, that, and that goes with the old adage that nature abhors a vacuum. So when the mosquitoes out there, uh, the bats don't want to get skinny. So there's got to be something else that's filling that vacuum in the ecosystem that's out right. there. I'm guessing that ticks are, are probably one of the creatures on that list because it seems like a lot more people are reporting incidences with them in this past year than I've heard of in previous well, and we've seen a general increase of ticks, especially through the the lower peninsula. I mean, 20 years ago, I, I would rarely get tick calls from southern Michigan. And now I get calls from people who, you know, they want they want a control recommendation for what they can, what for what they can do in their yard. So whereas, you know, ticks were fairly rare around our location, you know, 20 years ago, we've We've seen a general increase not only in the in American dog ticks, but also the black-legged or deer ticks as well too. So, and for whatever reason, um, that is widespread throughout the throughout the Lower Peninsula. And we, you know, we've always had ticks up in the UP, especially the Western UP. And a lot of people, uh, I get calls from you know the press, and they want to and they want to blame uh, climate change and. And, you know, I don't see that because, you know, the western UP, which is fairly cold, you know, they've always had ticks. There's no reason why we wouldn't expect to see ticks in the lower peninsula because, you know, states, nearby states with similar climates, Wisconsin, Minnesota, even Pennsylvania, New York, you know, and they're loaded with ticks. And the reason may be as simple as that the Great Lakes have offered some sort of natural barrier. We feel the black tick came up from Indiana, and because we we started seeing increases in the population of that tick in Varian County, right at the very southern border, right, and then from then it kind of spread up um, along the west coast, and then it spread eastward. Yeah, for years in our veterinary practice, we told people if they traveled south of Jackson or north of Mount Pleasant. Uh, to be aware of ticks, like Irish Hills area in Michigan got them way before we did. But years ago, if we saw two dogs in the whole summer with ticks, that was a lot. And now, by February, we're seeing, you know, 20, 30 dogs with ticks. It, right. It, it's, so it's a busy I, year. I collected the first tick um, from our house, and I we get them in, the ho- in our house. Yeah. Which uh, we have, we refer to our dogs as uh, tick collection and relocation specialists because they. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, the first tick we had this year was February 17th, and it was a deer tick. Right. So these ticks, deer ticks are active um, anytime the temperatures get above 50 degrees or so during the winter. They overwinter in the adult stage. And so, you know, we walk our our land all winter long and. uh, on warm days, we found this tick in the house, and I found one crawling on the bathroom wall just yesterday. Not a deer tick, but a right. dog tick. Yeah. Mm. We used to tell clients to only treat till, and a lot of people only treat till November and then start up again in April or May. But you need to give it. We have these breaks in winter where it gets to be fifty degrees, and those right. they're they're out there busy that day. Right, and we and we treat our dogs with with Nexgard. Good, and Good and which is an ordeal because they hate it. 
<laughs> so it, it takes like three hours. You have to break it up into little small pieces. You have to hide it in liver, and it's just and they absolutely are adept at you know parsing out that tiny little bit of medication from the treat they were given and eat the treat and spit the remains of the treatment out. Yeah. Well, in the in the dogs too, there are some topical spot on ones that are made too. But Nexgard's one of the best products out there. Right, but the problem is, of course, that for Nexgard to work, the, the tick actually has to bite the dog. Right. But and the 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 studies show, and I'm telling you the people this too, is that the tick has to be on just like in people. I think six to eight hours to actively spread spirochetes that are causing these diseases, and in most of these drugs, hopefully they're dead before that. Yeah, actually, you know, with with Lyme disease, it takes quite a bit longer than that. Oh, it is good. Well, yeah. that's good, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the um, some um, uh, you know, it's been shown that it takes you know the the spirochete that causes Lyme resides fairly deep in the digestive tract of the tick. Mm-hmm. I'm making so, a grimace when you say that. Yuck. <laughs> and so there are some people that think that, you know, it takes 48 hours for that spirochete mm-hmm. to migrate through the digestive tract and out the mouth parts and into the host um, before they can actually transmit the, 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 for a successful transmission of the disease. Yeah. That's, that's um, good news for picking ticks off of you. Yeah. Right. So, and, but a tick will stay there for a week. I mean, they'll go from something that's, you know, less than an eighth of an inch to something that looks like a small grape in a week. Mm-hmm. You know, ticks are not like mosquitoes where they have, you know, uh, pretty good. Um, a mosquito can bite pretty quickly. They have a mechanism on their mouth parts, they can cut through the skin, they come in, they take their blood meal, and they're gone within, you know, a minute or so. Ticks, they have to ram their mouth parts through their through the skin. So it may take it may take six hours before they can even begin to take a blood meal. And that's what and people also have to understand that ticks actually don't crawl in your skin. A lot of people after the tick bite, there's a little lump left, and that's usually their mouth parts, isn't it? Well, the, the the ticks will release. I mean, if you pull a tick off, a lot of times the mouth parts will remain. Right. They're right like, because they they have backward pointing spines on like, them. They're like little harpoons. Right. Yeah. And so if you pull the tick off, a lot of times the mouth parts will remain. Right. But if the tick releases itself, it takes right. its mouth parts with right. it. Well, the, the thing that we got all the time on dogs and humans were, you know, the tick is still in my skin. No, it's you, the, the head's out, but the mouth parts stayed. And, right. and, and so they really don't crawl under your skin like people right. think. And, so and, in another, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, well no, I, I just think... Uh, Sometimes when we talk about this thing, I'm thinking of a customer coming in and they had like a relatively large red mole on their hand, on their arm, and she <laughs> oh, came thanks. up to me and asked if that was a tick. <laughs> Sorry. And and so my my point is is that I think it would be helpful having an, you on on board here is or or the doc here uh, describe what one is looking for when they find a tick or or how to find a tick. What does it look like? And how to remove it. And I'm going to jump in for one second. The moles on people don't have legs. And that's one of the first things. I'll let, I'll let well, <laughs> it, it was, but, and, and the only reason I, I would never have thought to bring this question up, except yeah, for good the fact one. That, that there are individuals out there that have never experienced a tick, right. nor, nor do they necessarily know what it looks yeah, like. there's a bump. So I'll let you deal with that part of it now. Well, I mean, it, it, again, it depends on 
uh, time of year. So we're um, we're entering that time of year where the stage of the deer tick most likely to bite us now are nymphs, and they are very tiny. And they're right. they're going to be hard to find. And they can be difficult to find, and and. So it may look like a red spot with a tiny black head on it because these things are maybe a millimeter or maybe two millimeters. They don't engorge like an adult female does. So they're very tiny and easily missed, right? And that is the life stage. Now we're entering that time of year where that life stage, that's the one that's most likely going to transmit Lyme disease to us. Howard, we need to jump in right here real quickly and take a quick break. What we'd like to do is bring you back after the break and continue this conversation because we haven't even got to our friend Mr. Flea, and I'm sure he's busy out there too. So we'll continue the conversation with Howard Russell, who is a Michigan State entomologist right here on 1320 WILS. For the latest news and information on animal care, it's the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Here are your hosts, Rick Cruz and Lee Cohen. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we've been talking this morning with Howard Russell, who is an entomologist with Michigan State University. And joining me in the studio asking questions, besides Rick Pruce, we also have Dr. Will Schultz. So to continue the conversation, we were talking prior to the break about the ticks and how to identify them. Do you want to continue with that or shall we move on? I, well, I just want to say that, you know, this is the time of year where, you know, t- uh, you know it's, if it's not an adult tick, I mean, uh, dog ticks are still in the adult stage right now. But deer ticks, the ones that transmit Lyme disease, they're, uh, the life stage that's out right now are the nymphs, and they, they're very tiny and very difficult to see when they g- bite. Give somebody an example how, how big that would be. I know you said it in millimeters, but uh, to the um, average person. Maybe a head of a pin. Okay. And then there would be, so it would be visibly obvious if with with the naked eye 2020 to see that there is actually a bug in the midst of that red spot, correct? That's Yeah, you could see that, but you would have to look for it. If it's yeah. in your, but it's in your hair or in your head or someplace. Easy you, to hide. You're never going to find. Yeah. The other thing we tell people too is every night, if you are in those areas, like your house especially, check your dog for ticks when they come in the house. Because um, you don't want them laying eggs in the house too. But uh, every single night, even if they have tick protection, they can still bring, like in your house, they can still bring them in, and they could be alive for a while. Oh, they'll, they're alive all summer long. Yeah. I think you know, if you're a parasite, you're equipped to go for a long time without a meal. Yeah, that's the so, idea. You know, we find them. We, you know, sometimes we collect them. Sometimes, most of the times, we just flush them down the toilet. Is there a sayonara? Is there a source that one would want to go to after listening to this show that would be good to like help identify the type of ticks and also give advice associated with ticks? Well, one of the easiest ways to send me a photo. Right, okay. You know, I get I people email me <clears throat> photos of ticks all the time, so that's one of the easiest ways for people to get their tick ID'd. Is just send me a, a photo and put the tick on a white piece of paper and make sure the back is showing and, uh, you know, take it in good light. Email okay. me a photo. Yeah. I'm at bugman at msu.edu, and I'll be happy to ID, ID your tick for you at no charge. Yeah. All right. There you go. That's helpful. And they're also, you can go to websites and, and look, but for the untrained eye, they're pretty difficult to tell apart. 
Right. The dog ticks are pretty easy to identify because they have white markings on their back. Right. Well, Deer how... ticks are a little more challenging. Uh, we have probably 10 or so species of exodes, and yeah. to separate those out so... takes a pretty good trained yeah. eye. And they have, a, they have a little longer proboscis than the dog ticks, too, don't they? They do, and they lack the white markings. And that's the nose, by the way, the tip of the nose. Right. Well, Howard, we've done a good job talking about ticks, but I don't want the uh, friend of the tick, the flea, to feel left out of this friend. whole conversation. To be ticked off. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, oh. I don't want that That's to happen. Great. You stole it. That's a good pun, though. Uh, but what's going on with the flea population? I mean, are we seeing a lot? We don't seem to hear as much about it. The ticks seem to have stolen that light. Uh, but right. what's going on? Well, I, I think a lot of people are treating their animals for, for fleas. Um, I mean, there are good, uh, you know, treatments out there, either through your vet or, you know, online or even at the, at, at stores. Um, and, and I've noticed a reduction in the number of flea calls that I, that I get too. I get, I still get them, but not nearly the number that I got, say, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. We, we would um, see total infestations where the everybody's bed in the house has fleas in it, the yeah. dogs are covered, the cats are covered. Right. It'd be a nightmare and, to clean that up. Right. And I still, and I get a number of, the most interesting calls for me on fleas are from people who are being bitten by fleas, who send me fleas to look at, and they don't, and they don't have pets in the home. Mm. Right. <laughs> So and and I I've had that I've had that happen with schools businesses where um, local rodent populations that may um, that may live uh, uh, have burrows near where the entrance of these buildings are um, are infested with fleas and they turned out I've identified them as cat fleas right yeah that's so the most here's common what one. we normally find on domestic animals dogs and cats seem to have not have a problem with infesting like chipmunks and other um, small rodents that you would find around dwellings. So, and, and that's really frustrating for people, you know, that they, you know, they don't have pets, but yet they have fleas. So it's, it's a challenge. But uh, for the person that's listening in, uh, just uh, for clarification, fleas are not, not, none of the types of fleas are actually able to kind of support life off of a human, correct? No, uh, I, I don't believe they can reproduce just on human. And I they agree, require, they cannot. So, so if right. they eradicate the problems surrounding their home, I mean, you can't eradicate the chipmunks, but certainly if you have a mouse problem or something, that would be a thing. And there are yard sprays that you could use, I suppose. So right. Any other suggestions or advice one might give if if they are well, indeed? Well, you've got to get rid of the rodents right next to the house. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. Though, and, and, of course, you know, there are a couple different ways to do that. Sure. Um, you can hire people. Both Remington and Winchester make products that are pretty effective in controlling. <laughs> <laughs> we always call that that. There's a lot of. It's the weirdest thing. There's a lot of lead in our soil because this poor little thing had died of lead poisoning. <clears throat> oh boy. Yeah. Well, Howard, with all all of that said, uh, the question I've got, and we were talking about a little bit during the break, was uh, how does the lack of mosquitoes, maybe the fleas being knocked out by proactive things people are doing, uh, it, they're part of the ecosystem. Do we have a bunch of really skinny bats that are floating around out there, or are they finding something else to substitute for their diet? I, I, 
I think bats would probably pass up mosquitoes in favor of big old fat juicy moths, actually, as it turns out. And I think bats as, as mosquito control, I've heard a lot of that. You know, people put bat houses up and Purple Mountain houses up for uh, mosquito control. I think that's really overrated. I think both those predators would rather spend the energy to collect a big moth where the return of calories is a lot higher than a small, you know, mosquito. Right. So whose diet is it? Mosquitoes are probably, you know, one, you know, in, in the larval stages, deer fly larvae are predators and eat a lot of mosquito larvae. Wow. So they're kind of a mixed blessing. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And certainly uh, um, any of the mosquito <clears throat> larvae that I've seen, if there's any fish around, they don't stand a chance. But, right, uh, so, you know, dragonfly larvae, lots of uh, predatory fly larvae feed on mosquitoes. Yeah. Um, actually, there are certain mosquito larvae that feed on other mosquitoes, too. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, uh, most people I talk to think that we would, we would be just fine. We would do just fine without mosquitoes. Mm. And, of course, mosquitoes in general are the most important group of insects to people that there are because of the diseases they transmit. Yellow fever, mm-hmm. malaria, dengue, you know, all those are just horrible, you know, millions of people a year are affected by those. Um, so mosquitoes are, in terms of, you know, they, they're at the top of the list, in my mind, in terms of, of insect pests. So if you, if in those areas, if you totally eradicate the mosquito, let's say, do you mess up the ecosystem. Now I have no more dragonflies. Now I have no more tiny little fish that eat mosquitoes for the big fish. There might be, um, there may be a reduction, but there are other things that these things feed on too. You know, one, mosquitoes do best in water that doesn't stand for a long time, right? So these are are very ephemeral bodies of water where other, other mosquitoes, other predatory species, the water may not be there long enough for mm-hmm, them right. to actually to, complete a to, life cycle in sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. And we do have, uh, for standing water, for those that are listening, we, we do, and other stores do, a common uh, product is a mosquito dunk, um, and they, they tend to be effective uh, on the larva stage. Do you want to at least do a quick comment on how that works? Um, those are BTI, which is a microbial insecticide that's pretty... Um, um, uh, selective in terms of it only affects primitive diptera, things like black flies, mosquitoes, and it doesn't have any effect on dragonflies or be, uh, you know aquatic oh. beetles or anything else. So, and they can be pretty effective in controlling larval populations of mosquitoes in standing water. Howard, one other creature we haven't talked about, but they're at least some years they've been pretty popular in the summertime are bed bugs. And what's going on with those guys? Because something tells me they haven't gone away. And oh, no, no. They're, uh, they're one of the most common insects I see in the lab. Um, and another one that's, that looks a lot like a bed bug um, that's not is a bat bug. And it takes a microscopic examination to separate okay. the two. And uh, we need to learn enough difference between the two and whether we should be concerned with both or just one of those. But we'll need to do that after the break. That's right. We're talking this morning with Howard Russell, who is an entomologist with Michigan State, and we'll be back right here on 1320 WILS. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at all the 
Welcome back to the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show, your number one source for information on taking care of your pets. Here are your hosts, Rick Proust and Lee Cohen. Back here with the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we have been talking all about. I mean, if you've got a favorite insect, we've probably covered it with this the morning. bug guy, with, with the, the bug guy, with, with the, the bug, bug man. man, the entomologist oh, the man. Yes, from man. Michigan State University, Howard Russell. And Howard, again, thank you so much for your information. We were talking about bed bugs uh, when we went came up to the break last segment, but let's jump into that because. For people who have them, it's definitely not always the cheapest thing to deal with. So talk a little bit about it. Right. So bed bugs, are, you know, they're a serious problem. Um, and, you know, they really affect quality of life, too. So, and I tell people, you know, it, that if you, if you have bed bugs, you know, you're in for a battle. You have to be um, comprehensive, persistent and diligent in terms of even if you're working with an exterminator a lot of it falls towards the homeowner or the resident of that dwelling or that place to take some responsibility to help control the bugs yeah. and you were you were saying um, that they are misidentified with another <clears throat> bug uh, so please is are they both of concern and or and tell people i guess what information you feel they need to know specifically about bug, bed bugs well, there, there's another insect uh, called a bat bug that looks almost identical to a bed bug. And it requires microscopic examination to distinguish between the two. But will that um, one be causing red, red, will that be causing do, a quality of life people. issue? They do bite people, but they can't reproduce on human blood. Also, one of the problems with bed bugs that make them so challenging in terms of control is that they're so resistant to many of the insecticides that are used against them mm -hmm. because they've been exposed to insecticides for so long, right? Mm -hmm. And um, bat bugs um, don't have that quality. So they're a lot easier to control. Uh, and bat bugs are, you know, the first thing to do is, is to manage the bats. And they're always associated with a bat colony that's living in the home. Okay. There you go. Right. Yeah. And so, then the problem kind of goes away. Right, so you get rid of the bats. Um, there's a good chance that bat bugs will go away on their own too. Okay. But getting rid of bats can be challenging too. They're, they're, they, they're, they're not um, eager to give up their 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 homes, right? So, um, and I tell people, you know, that have that send me bat bugs, you need to go out at dusk and and with friends or with enough people to cover, you know, the whole house. The, uh, go around the house and. Bat, but bats will leave the house right around dusk, and you have to be you have to pay attention because you know twenty of them could leave the house in five seconds. They're that quick when they leave. Mm. So, and that would give you an idea where they're coming and going from, and then you need to develop some sort of you know one way door, mm. a flap, or something to exclude the bats from the house. Yeah. And a lot of people say you need to wait until the end of August because the baby bats are still up in the attic and they can't fly, right? So you need to wait till they develop to the point where they can leave with the adults, and then you can then you can work on excluding them. 
Right. So watching with a single beer, not a bad problem, but try to avoid the six-pack because you may not be paying attention enough. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Right. You don't want to, you know, you, you know, playing with the kids on the, on the, yeah. on the swing, work. Sw- swing set may not be the yeah. best, uh, yeah. you know, you need to be, you need to pay attention. Wow. Like I say, I've, Focus I've watched them, well, yeah, yeah. I've watched them leave um, the neighbor's house and it just seemed like, holy schmoly, and uh, there were a lot of bats, and then, but it's gone, and they're, you know, it's all done in five seconds. Boom. Well, there's some sage advice from Rick Proust there. Uh, now let's go through mm-hmm. Howard, if we can, and talk about the one disease that I've heard of recently that was insect-related uh, relates to people with horses, and it's uh, equine encephalitis. And I'm wondering because they did say that Michigan had its first case of it already. Uh, what's the forecast for that? Because there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time, money, and effort and have a lot of love for their horses, and they want to protect them. What should they be doing? And it, Brett, I saw that report, and that was from up near Bay City and Saginaw, right? Yes. Yeah, and that's unusual. I mean, normally we see um, encephalitis. Encep- equinine encephalitis down in the Kalamazoo area. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, according to our medical entomologist, the, this, the mosquito that vectors that is kind of a different mosquito. And it is one that you would see develop in dry seasons in like cisterns and other hidden bodies of water, like around tree holes and tree roots and things like that. And so it was kind of surprising to me that the the first case was noted up in the thumb. And for those listening, go ahead and explain more about the specific disease. Who's affected? You know, is it just horses um, or humans? No, apparently every now and again, um, um, it, it it the mosquito bites people, and that the pathogen is passed on to people, and it's it's a fairly serious disease in people. There are more, and it, it can be fatal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for both horses and people. And the first symptoms typically are headaches, correct? Yeah, I believe that's true. You know, that's one. The, the good thing about it is, it's, you know, it, if we get three cases a year of Triple E, um, that's a lot of cases, right? So it's not very common. Right. Unless but it's, it's you. Still a, it's still a, because of, it's so serious. Right. It's still uh, noteworthy, right? And it's certainly a bad one for any hypochondriac. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing is for the people that are exposed, you don't have to have horses to get this. Uh, you don't have to be even that close to them because those mosquitoes travel a ways, don't they? Right, they do, yeah. But like I say, there's there's certain, and I, I can't remember the geological features, but there's something about the the topography of the area where they're found hmm. down around Kalamazoo in southwest, southwest Michigan that facilitates this certain species of mosquito. Very interesting. Yeah. Now, Howard, if there's one thing I know is that there's a whole lot of things in your world that I don't know. So I will let you share with our listeners what are the, the insects that we might not even have heard about or be conscious of, but they're out there and we need to look out for our pets when it comes to them. Well, we've covered the main ones, you know. We, uh, you know, fleas and uh, uh, ticks are and biting flies. So those are the are the ones that uh, we need to be mostly concerned about. 
and and of course those are the ones that affect us too. Um, sure. So, I mean, it all depends on how tolerant you are. Like we, my wife and I, we don't take special measures to keep our other than the next guard. Uh, you know, we don't we don't use repellents on our dogs. We don't think that's all that healthy. Um, we don't use repellents on us unless we absolutely have to. We use, you know, we do tick inspections. Uh, we, we find ticks in the home. Um, we use loose, loose-fitting clothing rather than repellents uh, and head nets when mosquitoes get real bad. So, um, and we don't really do inspections on the on the dogs. I mean, we just are on the lookout for them uh, when we when we pet the dogs. You know, we kind of. Um, feel for ticks and we find them that way but and we don't get excited about them <laughs> yeah. tell you the truth I, I still get grossed out by them i don't care yeah well we get grossed out by them but we're not going to let them dictate our lives right right yeah right. We're, we're still going to walk the swamp we're still going to take the dogs out and and the hell with the bugs yeah yeah, yeah go outside so the, one right. other thing i saw a billboard the other day uh, for lantern bugs. I'm sorry, this doesn't have anything to do with pets, but this is an, a new awareness in Michigan, isn't it? Right, and we found it. The spotter and lantern yeah, fly is the bug you're referring to. Okay. So this is a new invasive insect. It's most, uh, the adults congregate on the tree of heaven, um, and but it's, uh, it, 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 it poses a significant risk to our shade trees, and it's a real nuisance. The bug poops copious amounts of, of of liquid when they feed on trees and shrubs. So being under a tree that's infested with these things, I understand it's just like, you know, sugary liquid raining down on people. <laughs> oh, but yeah. is, it, is it specifically that tree type or is it trees no, in general? No, they feed on other trees as well, but the ones that the adults sort of seek out in the fall of the year to lay their eggs is the tree of heaven. Is that the same as a, a sumac or no? Nope, it is not. It kind of looks like a sumac. Okay. Oh, okay. Right, but and that's it's it's not a native species either, right? Both it, of these is, are of Asian orient of of origin. So. Is this one if you see that you're supposed to report it, correct? If you see it in Michigan, right? Okay, uh, we would like, and you know, it it started in Pennsylvania. It's found throughout New York City right now. It's moving east. It was found in Ohio uh, three or four years ago. Um, it was found in a single spot in Michigan down. Well, I want to say in southeast Michigan. Well, welcome to Michigan. Um, Howard, I hate to jump in, but I need to because we've run out of time. But we want to thank you so much. And again, your your email site for people who want to send something to you? Is bugman at msu.edu. Oh, bugman, you're going to get some business now. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. So on behalf of our producer, Bruce Warner, my co-host in the studio, Will Schultz and Rick Bruce, this is Lee Cohen wishing all of you a great weekend, a great weekend. And we got-